Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 11 o'clock a.m. Central Standard Time on the 10th of March, 2020. This is episode 213 of Bitcoin, and I'm just not going to be able to figure out a way to to do to record the shows in a way that I can get them to uh, air the next day at like 4 a.m. like I was trying to do. And I know some of you guys kind of wanted that, but... It doesn't make any sense because by the time that I do some of the stuff that I do within, you know, the 12 or 15 hours from the time that I do it to the time that it would air out already outdated, it's just already outdated. So I, as you've noticed, I've just gone back to doing the regular schedule. You know, you got to try shit though. You you just do, because if you don't, you, you stay stagnant. So excuse me if I if my voice is a little rough it's it may very well be because I've either got the woo flu or the kung flu or the flu manchu or whatever else we're calling that son of a bitch today no just kidding I I as far as I know I am I am not going to die anytime soon but flu manchu man <laughs> that's a great name I'm sorry I know it's terrible but it's a great name uh <laughs> also in today's news robin hood app uh has announced that they are going to uh, uh well they've developed a new app that's going to tell you what hospitals you can go to during a major outbreak or pandemic uh ceo says it's going to be rock solid never it'll never go down uh when you really need it like everything else that they do no that's actually a complete lie a fabrication as it were but I figured it was a little bit funny considering that Robin Hood has failed so many people so miserably so many times in this last month. I honestly don't think that Robin Hood app is going to survive this. I, re- I really don't. It, any of you guys that are listening that are looking for something else than Robin Hood app, again, I'm going to shill Square app uh, or cash app or yeah squares cash app that's what i'm thinking of because you can buy slivers of stonks from those guys uh again i will say that i don't know if the uh, usability of uh square is all that good in comparison to robin hood but i mean if you can't use the app then anything else is better than that app i'm just you know saying All right, and last thing up before, so I can get into the mode of doing this show, I want to remind everybody that uh, lamps in video games use real electricity. If you're wondering why the hell I'm talking about this, I saw a picture of a model wearing a t-shirt that says, 
lamps in video games use real electricity. And the more that I thought about it, the more it was kind of really messing my head up because it's totally zen, because it's totally true. The lamps that you see in a video game are indeed using real electricity. Think about it. Just let let that blow your mind. It's okay. If your mind gets blown, it's completely all right because it's, again, zen moment there. Zen moment. All right. Let's get into this stuff. We're going to do community news first. Uh, Bitsy is happy to be sponsoring... BTC Pay Server Developer, Mr. Cucks. That is Mr. Cucks, K-U-K-K-S. We want to ensure that he can continue to participate in the important work done by BTC Pay Server and hope our contribution helps provide a stable environment for him to do just that. The hell are they talking about? Well, this is from the Bitsy blog. That's Bitsy, B-T-S-E. I guess that's Bitsy. I don't know. Hopefully I'm not screwing that up. I'd screw everything else up though. But um, this is a blog. This is from the Bitsy blog. This post was uh, done about an hour ago. It says, the team at Bitsy places great value on the important work being done by open source developers without whom the world would never have been introduced to Bitcoin. As a cryptocurrency company that owes much of its success to tireless developers develop, uh, contributing to Bitcoin and other projects that support the ecosystem, we feel it is important to give something back. Bitsy is happy to be sponsoring BTC Pay Server's developer or server developer Cucks. We want to ensure that he can continue to participate in the important work done by BTC Pay Server and hope our contribution helps provide a stable environment for him to do just that. What is BTC Pay Server? Might as well go ahead and read this. It's just a paragraph here. BTC Pay Server is a self-hosted open source community or cryptocurrency payment processor that is free to use and places a strong focus on privacy, security, and censorship resistance. This allows merchants to accept payments with no fees, no middlemen, no custodians, and no major barriers to entry. Anyone anywhere around the world can now experience truly free trade in a permissionless manner. The implications of this are staggering, and BTC Pay fits perfectly with the disruptive, trustless ethos of Bitcoin. We hope that our contributions to Cux will help continue to drive the development of BTC Pay server forward, making it a robust part of the new decentralized economy that was bestowed upon us all just 11 short years ago. So, Bitsy, and they're not saying how much. But Bitsy is making a grant available to Mr. Cucks to continue his development work for BTC Pay Server. I think it's awesome. It's it's totally, I mean, that's totally great, right? Totally. And it is. BTC Pay Server is probably one of the most important projects that we have going on at the moment. Another one would be the light, development on the Lightning Network. But BTC Pay Server is really important and it's and that's being its importance is being demonstrated by the fact that bitsy is like not by any stretch of the imagination one of the like one of a few people that are giving grants to developers no there's like five companies now i think they are in they are entering in as number five or number six into the fray that is people that are trying to uh get developers on BTC pay server paid. 
so that they can do shit like eat and have a place to live and be warm <laughs> or and not too hot and that kind of, you know that kind of thing the the, the general stuff all right so moving on from that <clears throat> i'm going to shill art designed by sf so let's uh let me make sure that i've got his thing uh his handle correct it is art at or excuse me at art design by sf all one word on twitter why am i doing this well because again for btc pay server this guy has been kind of designing btc pay checkout uh screens for uh uh the, I, I am assuming mobile um he's let me just read you his tweet. It says, shameless plug. If anyone else needs some custom design work done for their BTC pay checkout, don't hesitate to send me a DM. Here are a few of the previous designs I made. I also do corporate identity and other graphic design. So given this dude a plug, because he's also involved in making sure that BTC pay server remains one of these things that it's like a magnet, like a, I would say a black hole, but oblivion generally comes out of that, and that's not good. A magnet that's just drawing these people towards it because there's a gravity there, all right? There's, there's definitely a gravity there. This is actually, his tweet was actually in response uh, to uh, Human Rights Foundation's tweet that says, Human Rights Foundation now accepts Bitcoin donations through BTC Pay Server, a great project that helps with privacy and doesn't collect your information. Spe special thanks to Art by Design for his design work. Check it out and make a gift today. So if you have BTC Pay Server and you want a specialized uh, payout or a, oh, a checkout screen, contact this dude, Art by Design SF, and see if he can hook you up with something. Pay the man. Pay him money. Hopefully he actually has BTC. BTC pay server on his website so that he can take money for that shit. Um, okay. Now let's see the last thing that I'm going, uh, that's going to end it for community news, but I'm going to, I'm going to dive right into, uh, this thing right here. This is, seems to be, uh, an old saying written in Sanskrit. I'm not actually sure, but it's very, very relevant to shit coins. Kabir, the world is dying, dying to death, but no one knows how to truly die. Whoever dies, let him die such a death that he does not have to die again. This is an, a perfect description of shitcoins. Remember BitConnect? That token is still being actively traded with a price. I don't know what the price is. I'm not going to spend my my precious seconds of the day to look it up, but BitConnect, the scam of all scams, except maybe one coin, is still being traded. It is actively traded. It has a price. It will not die. It will, and that goes for all the rest of ICOs and altcoins and shitcoinery and all the crap, all the tokens. They, that's why I've come to the conclusion that I will never live Without a shitcoin, I will have to endure the fact that these things are going to continue to exist forever and ever and ever. I wish they would die, but they apparently don't know how to die. 
Now, that's going to lead into something that seems completely different. Farming. Uh, I'm going to go on a rant. It, or it's probably going to turn into a rant. I will try to keep it at a, at a dull roar here. But I found this story. Um, I'm not going to read the entire new. I'm not going to actually read any of the actual story, the new story itself. I'm just going to read one of the uh, oh one of the screens that you one of the pictures that you see in that particular story is this seeds of despair. More than 450 farmers killed themselves across nine midwestern states from 2014 to 2018. Meanwhile, calls to farm aid's crisis hotline soar. So the story is literally about the American farmer and the fact that it's just going to hell. Has nothing, well, the, the markets as of late don't help, but this has been going on for a while. Like this said, four, we got 450 farmers. Farmers, they didn't go to, they weren't deployed in Iraq. You know, they're not vets. They're just, they're farmers, man. And in 2000, from 2014 to 2018, you got a four-year span where 450 farmers killed themselves. And, and Farm A's crisis hotline is ringing off the hook. These guys don't know what to do. You know, the average age, the average age of the American farmer is anywhere between 57 and a half years old to 67 years old, depending on what, you know, what you're reading. All right. So I've seen everything. But the point is, is that the average age of the American farmer is getting old. And without any kind of replacements, uh, who's going to farm? And if you say, if you're one of the people that actually think that food comes from a store, go walk off of a cliff, please. I'm so sick of, of, of seeing videos of, we asked these two 18-year-olds where food comes from. And then they both sit there, the poor little 18-year-olds, they don't know what the hell's going on. They're like, uh, food comes from a store. I feel bad for their ignorance. I, I don't, you know, I don't hate them, but they're completely ignorant. No, far, uh, food comes from farms. And we're really screwing up. So for somehow or another during all this, you know, all this stuff with, you know, I, I posted this thing about go big and go kill yourselves and included this picture. And of course, I, I have to make an erratum here because I got it completely wrong. I said, thank you, Jimmy Carter's ag secretary for making sure America's farming heritage dies a slow and painful death. It wasn't Jimmy Carter. I got that wrong. It was Nixon. Richard Nixon. It was Richard Nixon's Secretary of Agriculture that did that. So in not, now, uh, uh, before I get right into that, I want to say this, this marries up well with that whole thing of what happened in 1971. I think that that's the name of the actual website. Is like Just search all one word, what, happen, what happened in 1971. You'll come across a website, what happened in 1971, probably .com, maybe .com. Org. I'm not sure, but it shows all these graphs of all this stuff that in 1971, so much changed. Nixon took, took us off the gold standard. One of the major things represented there, but there's another thing. Now it, it, it is more, in my opinion, is just as insidious <clears throat> as taking us off the gold standard, but you know, uh, probably just isn't really forefront 
Because in 1971, Nixon plucked Butts out of Purdue's Agriculture Department and planted him in the USDA in 1971. In 1973, Butts said, plant fence, plants fence row to fence row. Go big or go home. Now, he actually said get big or get out, but he was talking to America's farmers. What that meant was we wanted to plant nothing but corn and commodities. We, and, and, and the Secretary of Agriculture was telling farmers, if you had something like, like if you had a 40-acre farm, dude, you are not going to cut it. You're, you, you are toast, 100% toast, right? So, Butts, and I can't remember his first name, B-U-T-Z is his last name, in 1973, right after we got taken off the gold standard, told all of America's farmers that you were either going to have to expand your land holdings, i.e. take out loans, get it, or you were going to fold up your farm and sell it to somebody who is willing to take out the loans. So no matter what, no matter where you were on that spectrum at the time, if you were a farmer, it didn't matter. Loans were going to be made. Big, big loans. Lots and lots and lots of loans. It was, and it, it, it started then, but has now come down to the fact that in 2014 to 2018, we had 450 farmers off themselves because they can't make it anymore. Then we've got that on the on the heel. Uh, this is happening on the heels of the fact that the American farmer's average age is getting pushed past the point where they can actually do functional work on said farms. All right. So just to add a cherry on top of the whole thing, in 2019, our new USDA Secretary of Agriculture, Secretary Sonny, uh, says uh, he's he's at I don't let's see. He's at somewhere. Where is he at? Well, I'll just tell you what he said. What do you call two farmers in a basement? Purdue Joe. Oh, his, yeah, Purdue. Sonny Purdue. Uh, Purdue joked with a group of Minnesota farmers last Wednesday. A wine cellar. W-H-I-N-E. Purdue said, eliciting booze from the crowd, according to AgriPulse. So this is a man, our secretary of agriculture stood up in front of a whole bunch of Minnesota farmers and told them that they were a bunch of fucking whiners. I got 450 of these fucking whiners that off themselves in the last four years, last five years, whatever it is. Think about that. What else happened in 1971? It wasn't just taking us off the gold standard. It was the installation of a whole batch of shit. And the the lasting effect, I I think it's just now coming home to roost. I think that that's what's going on here. Everything, farming, which it affects uh, the economy, the economy itself, which in turn affects farming. What else happened in 1971? Go to or go like I said, Google what happened in 1971, and start taking a look at it. Anyway, that's going to wrap it up for Rants and Community News. Welcome to the snooze you can use, bro. This is morning roundup number one, and it's going to connect to the whole farming thing. 
All right, this is from Coindesk.com. Uh, in fact, who's writing this? Uh, this is Patty Baker, and the uh, Patty Baker is writing this sometime today. Securitize launches tokenized platform to revitalize Japan's rural property market. Interesting. Digital asset issuer Securitize has launched a tokenized platform aimed at encouraging funding in underinvested real estate in rural Japan. Built in collaboration with Tokyo-based fintech firm Liffle Social Funding, <laughs> the crowdfunding platform just finished undergoing joint tests, according to a Securitize blog post on Tuesday, calling the project very exciting. Securitize CEO and co-founder Carlos Domingo said this was the beginning of for both Securitize and Liffle to modernize the Japanese real estate market together. Although Japan has had some of, has some of the most densely populated cities in the world, this has come at the expense of the surrounding countryside, which has experienced significant population decline over the decades. It is estimated nearly 900 towns and villages across Japan will be deserted by 2040. Securitize's platform is designed to open the rural property market up to the outside world, providing much-needed funding to revitalize and even repopulate settlements with lower aging populations because they are... Few, there are few restrictions on foreigners buying properties in Japan. The platform can operate with relative regulatory clarity. Securitize said the crowdfunding platform, which leverages, oh God, Ethereum-based digital securities is faster, transparent, and more regulatory compliant than comparable legacy systems. Being built on a public blockchain means investors can also review and monitor the flow of funds. In November, Securitize received a reported seven-figure sum from Japanese investment bank SBI Holdings to open an office in the country. Domingo told Coindesk at the time the placement would enable his firm to begin offering digital securities to the Japanese market. Securitize became involved in the crowdfunding platform after it acquired Japanese blockchain consultancy firm Bildel. Oh, oh God. In December. Bildel, B-U-I-L-D-L. Okay, so Bildel. They're like Hodel, but Bildel, please, guys, stop. Let's just, we can go with Hodel in my opinion, but everything else is, I don't know, just kind of like choking the chicken. Okay, so it doesn't directly equate to the whole farming situation, clearly, because it's not in the United States. But let's just think about this for a second. Japan is not the only thing that, or the only country that went through this, especially after World War II, America went through it, has gone through it, and is continuing to go through it. But I do think that, th I think it's about to flip. After World War II, you had a way, like a, an urbanization movement that was like second to none. People started moving away from their farms and out in the country and started moving to where the work is. Because God knows you got to go where the work is Right, so this destroyed families, it destroyed family farms, it destroyed farming, or or started the whole thing of destroying farming. And then we have the installation of Butts in 1971 as Secretary of Agriculture, which made, would put the freaking nail in the coffin of that son of a bitch, right? It was already on the ropes as it was with everybody moving to the city. So now, even in the United States, we've got we've got a rural problem. There's all manner of stuff out here because I live in a rural community now. Um, and I, I see dilapidation everywhere I look, everywhere I look, man. And 
there's tons of land and there's no animals upon it because they're all in CAFOs or confined animal feeding operations. It's just, it, it, it's bad. And the same thing's happening to Japan. So how does this tokenization of securitize, what is it going to do? Because while it says that it's making rural land open, you know, open for market, right? That does not mean that they're talking about trying to get farms to be rebuilt. What, what may they be doing? Well, they may be trying to start whole cities. I don't know. It doesn't really say in this particular thing. If they're going for getting people out of the cities and putting them back into rural locations and, and with the hopes that there won't be urban sprawl and that maybe these people will start thinking about, ah, you know, I kind of don't want to be a lawyer anymore because it's not all that fun or whatever, you know, it doesn't matter whatever position, like you could be like, I don't know, a, a, a SQL guy and just like, oh, dude, if I write another query, I'm going to die. I just want to raise chickens or whatever. Hey, then all that's good. If they're selling it just to a bunch of people that want to hold land because they want to put their wealth into it and do absolutely dick with it, then we're we're just in the same boat. We're in the same problem. So think about it. And there's a lot of people in this in this audience, and I know there's a lot of people in the general Bitcoin ecosystem that are in love with the idea of a farm. Even if it's not to their benefit, not well, it would always be to their benefit. But even if that wasn't the primary way in which they're making, you know, ends meet, you know, but still there's this, I hear a lot of people about, you know, they they talk about food and how important it is. Talk about farming. They talk about land. You know, they talk about, you know, regenerative agriculture. Hell, the whole permaculture regenerative agriculture scene is what brought me to freaking Bitcoin in the first damn place. I had heard about it. But it wasn't until I had spent a couple of years in permaculture and regen ag and holistic management and like, you know, reading these guys, you know, all the guys that are in that movement that led me to Austrian economics. And then after I heard a whole bunch about Nassim Taleb and all that kind of stuff, I heard about all that out of regen ag. And then all of a sudden it wasn't but one step away to Bitcoin. It was really easy to slip right into Bitcoin after all that. So here I'm coming full circle. We're seeing the death of farming. We're seeing a whole bunch of people that are interested in getting the hell out of the city. I don't know. Could be opportunity. That's all I'm saying. Bitcoin hash rate unaffected by coronavirus with a decline in the number of new coronavirus cases in China. Bitcoin mining operations in the country are showing signs of recovery. This was written for Decrypt.co by Joseph Young sometime today. China's drastic measures in response to the coronavirus outbreak appear to have brought the epidemic under control, and the country's Bitcoin mining industry seems to have shown no signs of slowing down during the crisis. Although half of Bitcoin's hash rate comes from Chinese mining pools, it has consistently set new highs throughout the past two months, with no major drop-off during the height of the coronavirus crisis in February. The coronavirus epidemic is slowing down in China with the number of new cases, dro- new cases dropping to double digits. 
At its peak, China reported more than 1,000 new cases per day. According to China's National Health Commission, the country confirmed 17 new cases on March 9th, 15 of which were from the Hubei area. According to Director General of the World Health Organization, Dr. Tedros Adhanaman Ghebreyesus, yeah, sorry, that's just the way I got to handle it, guys. China is bringing its epidemic under control. With 70% of the more than 80,000 confirmed cases having recovered and been discharged from the hospital. Based on the substantial decline of the number of new cases, researchers in Guangzhou Institute of Respiratory Health said in a paper published in the Journal of Thoracic Disease that the second peak of coronavirus in China had already passed in February. China's recovery from coronavirus could revitalize the global Bitcoin mining market considering the size of the local cryptocurrency mining industry. The Chinese Bitcoin mining market dominates the global mining landscape, with China accounting for two-thirds of the Bitcoin blockchain network's total hash rate. Just four Chinese Bitcoin mining pools, F2 Pool, PoolNBTC.com, and AmpPool, account for more than half of all Bitcoin's hash rate. Remarkably, Despite China's coronavirus epidemic peaking in February, the global Bitcoin hash rate did not significantly drop off. Instead, it's consistently set new highs throughout the past two months. As China begins to roll back strong quarantine measures following a decline in new coronavirus cases, the local Bitcoin mining sector is also expected to stabilize. When the coronavirus epidemic initially hit Wuhan and the Hubei area, leading to the lockdown of 55 million individuals, there were concerns that the decline of China's cryptocurrency mining sector would lead to a decline in the hash rate of Bitcoin. In February, several major mining firms in China expressed concerns about the instability of operations and an abrupt drop-off in the supply of mining equipment, putting the Chinese Bitcoin mining industry at risk of a slump. BTC top founder Zhihang Zhu said that the company was forced to shut down Bitcoin mining equipment to help with quarantine measures. In a statement on Weibo, Zuer said that if the company has to close down its mining centers for extended periods, it would significantly affect the firm and the livelihood of its employees. While several mining companies like BTC Top were asked to halt operations in certain areas, mining equipment manufacturers struggled to distribute products across China. The cut in the mining equipment supply chain and the struggles of mining centers in China intensified instability in the entire Bitcoin mining sector. Although China's Bitcoin mining industry appears to have ridden out the coronavirus storm, there could be more pain ahead. Aww. The impending Bitcoin halving is expected to hit just as miners will need to upgrade grade to new 7 nanometer chips, which could lead to smaller mining firms being priced out of the market if the price of Bitcoin stays flat or drops further. So, welcome, all of you, to the... I am. This isn't the first salvo of this having about a Bitcoin mining spiral death and all that, but I think that it has now has a firm footing, and we will have to deal with this day in and day out until I don't know six months after this happening, which is due in May. That's just a couple of months away, right? Oh, uh, so Mike Dudas dropped one of his little nuggets of sheer brilliance sometime this morning, and I don't have it in front of me, but he was quoting something out of a Genesis block crypto. Of course, you can't read it because it's on the Genesis site, which more and more of their material is going to the block crypto Genesis, which is 100% paywalled or yeah, paywalled. 
<clears throat> so I can't read it, but he quoted something about unless the price of Bitcoin doubles within the next two months, mining death spiral, yada, 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 and so on and so forth and all that kind of stuff. An incredibly bad take. Why? Because this is the third halvening. This isn't the first time this this rodeo has sold tickets to the show, bro. No, it's not. It's the third time. We've seen this two times before with the exact same arguments made the exact same way, although this time from the, with the addition of different people because I don't remember Mike Dudas saying dick about the second havening, which was the last one. Don't buy it, people. Seriously, guys, just hold on, bro, or, and, and stack some sats. But you can now build a physical Bitcoin faucet thanks to GitHub. That's good news. A GitHub user has deployed designs to build a physical 3D printed Bitcoin faucet that you can build at home. This is Will Heisman writing sometime today for Decrypt.co. Looking to build upon the awareness-raising intentions of the original Bitcoin faucet, one GitHub user has designed a physical Bitcoin reward system that you can build yourself. Bitcoin faucets traditionally involved websites rewarding users in Bitcoin for undertaking simple tasks such as completing a CAPTCHA. These novel schemes were initially designed to incentivize and spread awareness of Bitcoin. The concept was originally devised in 2014 by early Bitcoin contributor Gavin Andreessen. Known simply as the Bitcoin faucet, Andreessen's Bitcoin-centric brainchild paid out an extensive five Bitcoin per person which is $40,500 U.S. at press time. Nowadays, the reward is scaled with inflation, typically paying out a comparatively diminutive Satoshi or a hundredth of a millionth BTC per person. Up until recently, these reward systems were mostly confined to apps and websites. However, thanks to the innovation of one GitHub user dubbed TBruno25, you can now create your own physical Bitcoin faucet. The setup requires a fairly simplistic array of components, including a Raspberry Pi, a camera module, and a 2.8-inch touch LCD screen. Oh, and a 3D printer. That's because TBruno25 includes design for a sleek 3D-printed stand, adding a certain flair to the finished product. Using the faucet is relatively painless. Simply tap the screen and scan your Bitcoin wallet's QR code via the device's camera. Several several seconds later, the faucet will show its own QR code. Scan that, and the device will share the transaction details depicting your freshly deposited Satoshis. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Though the most recent, and thanks to 3D printed case, the most stylish, this isn't the first attempt at a physical Bitcoin faucet. Shortly after Andreessen unveiled his designs in 2014, a physical faucet was spotted at the Art Basel Museum in Miami. Created by Bitcoin ATM operator Bitstop, the faucet was installed in the Art Basel as a method of tipping the curated artists. According to a 2014 Reddit thread, the faucet sent around $1 to a user's BTC wallet. In turn, this was used to tip artists whose work included a QR code representing a Bitcoin wallet. So Fawcett's definitely not dead. And neither is Jack Dorsey, because apparently Bitcoin backer Jack Dorsey is to stay on as Twitter CEO. Oh, following an activist investor's push to oust him 
the Twitter and Square litter, litter, leader and noted Bitcoin enthusiast will remain at the top of the social media platform. Andrew Hayward, also writing for Decrypt.co, was doing this on March the 9th. Activist investment firm Elliott Management made some noise um, oh God, over the last couple of weeks, calling for the replacement of Twitter CEO and Bitcoin enthusiast Jack Dorsey after acquiring a 4% stake in the company. But today, Twitter announced a partnership with the firm that will see the social media giant undertake other changes while keeping Dorsey at the top. The partnership is both uh, is with both Elliott Management and technology investment firm Silver Lake, and we'll see Silver Lake invest $1 billion into the company. Woo! Twitter will use that money and additional cash on hand to begin a $2 billion share buyback program. Ooh, ah, yeah, yeah, I don't know what to feel about that, but let's, let's continue. Twitter will also add one member each from its new partners to its board of directors with plans to add an additional independent member to the board. The board has also formed a five-person committee to regularly, regularly evaluate Twitter's leadership structure, including plans to evaluate the CEO succession plan with the CEO, according to a release. For now, however, Dorsey stays. The original Twitter co-founder and CEO who departed the leadership role in 2008 but returned in 2015 has been controversial in part due to his split focus. He is also currently the CEO of Square, the mobile payments company that he co-founded in 2009. Nice. Didn't realize it was that old. Shit. Dorsey is a major advocate of Bitcoin and decentralized technology and his influence has been seen in the moves of both Twitter and Square. Square, in particular, has been a major player in the crypto space. Its cash app is a popular way to buy and sell Bitcoin, plus the company has a Square crypto division. Just last week, Square Crypto announced a new round of grants for Bitcoin-centric startups. Square also recently invested in Transparent Financial Systems, a cryptographic settlement solution company for businesses. Twitter, on the other hand, sees a potential in decentralization. In December, Dorsey announced the formation of a team of open-source architects, engineers, and designers to help develop the future of decentralized social media. The goal is for Twitter to ultimately be a client of this standard, he wrote. Okay, that's the end of that. But that last thing that he said is no doubt what pissed off this poor guy from whatever this place is. What the hell's the name of this damn thing? Uh, Elliot Management, yeah. And the head guy over there at Elliot Management, I guess he thought that he can just buy 4% of a company and then tell the company exactly how they're going to act and what CEO they're going to have. Honestly, I went on a, a, a tirade about activist investors the other day, so I won't rehash it, but screw these guys, dude. You know, if you're going to invest, and especially if you're using other people's money to invest, changing the thing that you're investing in is bad, okay? Because you got two choices. You invest in something that's, that's good, that you and all your crew think is, this is a worthy investment. We think we're going to be able to make money out of this because X, Y, and Z factors. And then you go in and you change the very thing that you think was the good thing to invest in. Nope, that's a bad move. Sorry, it is. It's a bad move. I don't care that I'm not a billionaire. If you're pointing at me and laughing, go F yourself because that's just a recipe for disaster. 
on the flip side, you can invest in something that you think you're going to change and it's just a terrible company to freaking begin with. That is also a bad move. Why would you throw your money at anything that even remotely resembles a bad move? That's not the way that it should work, but apparently Elliott Management, that's the way they operate. If I were you and you have the opportunity to give $1 to Elliott Management, run, do not walk to the nearest exit that's going to do it for the snooze. You can use number one. All right, yo, let's do some uh, vile statistics here. Major indices to me appear flat. Uh, Dow Jones is up like almost like 1%. Uh, S&P is up uh, 1.2%. Looks like we got a small rally going on maybe. Uh, They were earlier today, about a couple of hours ago, uh, shit was sinking. Uh, And the same, the uh, same was true for Bitcoin as well. So there is some correlation at this particular moment in time. I still dutifully believe that Bitcoin is an uncorrelated asset. But yeah, S&P is up 1.3%. NASDAQ up 1.6%. D, uh, the Dow Jones is up 1.1%. FTSE is up a quarter percent. Yeah, yeah. It looks like there was some, some, uh, some recovery is occurring at this particular moment. Uh, the bonds are up. So that's good. The U.S. 30-year bond is now back above 1% at 1.1. Ooh, yay, 1.1% over 30 years. Oh, joy. Oil has gained uh, 7.6%. Its last was $33.51 a barrel for crude oil. Now, Bitcoin is at 7849 It looks like our low, where's our low going to be? Ooh, this is tight. This was really tight trading range. Uh, that is going to end up being our high is 7,849, while our low is going to be 7,826. Wow, that is one of the tightest trading ranges I've ever seen. Holy crap, dude. They're all within like 20 bucks, you know, 25 bucks. Anyway, so. Uh, 347,000 transactions made in the last 24 hours gives us 14,500 transactions on average per hour. 1.15 million BTC have been sent over that last 24 periods with about 48,000 BTC being sent on average per hour with the average transaction value being 3.34 BTC and the median transaction value being uh, 0.0. 0.043 BTC, which is high. That actually represents uh, 339, no, 340 bucks US. Block time is high, 10 minutes, 26 seconds. We have 0.21 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, and 30 BTC has been taken overall as fees in the last 24 hours. We've had a minor drop in the uh, hash rate. We've got Oh, 0.76% drop. That brings us down to 119.8 exahashes per second. Last time anybody did anything on Bitcoin, according to GitHub, was sometime today. Ethereum is at 199, Bcash at 267, BSV at 197, Litecoin at 50, Ethereum Classic at $6.78, and Dogecoin still taking it on the chin, 0.0022. And with, ooh, wow, man, what's happened with Bcash? 
there are 33,660 transactions have been made on Dogecoin's uh, network in the last 24 hours. That's double Bcash's 17,685. The hell's going on over there? And it certainly has beaten the living crap out of Litecoin's 23,839. So what's going on with uh, Bcash, guys? Who knows? I don't care. Hope it dies. It's a shit coin, and it always will be. Now, let's just see what my node says about the hash rate. I'm like I'm reading 115 exahashes per second. I'm reading a moderate uh, mempool of 25 megabytes representing 17,500 unconfirmed transactions chilling there waiting to get confirmed. I have last 10 blocks are all full. Uh yeah. Yep, they're all full. Now, Clark Moody's dashboard. Let's see what's going on with Lightning, at least. Uh, Lightning Network's total capacity is 894 BTC with a liquidity of $7 million in value there. Uh, Let's see, 6,536 nodes, 36,137 channels. Tor capacity is 365 BTC, representing 40.8% of the total capacity. And the total amount of Tor nodes is 1,898. That's going to do it for Vitals. Strap in. It's Morning Roundup Part 2. It's the snooze you can use, bro. It's Reddit co-founders firm leads $5 million funding round for blockchain game studio. Buckle in because it is going to be shitcoin story, but gaming is important. No matter how we slice this shit, gaming is really important to this whole thing. Eventually people on games are going to get, are going to start, you know, getting pissed that they're getting robbed and, uh, oh, let's see, lied to, defrauded, whatever it is by whatever shitcoin they happen to be using. And honestly, all you really need to do is install uh, Lightning. And guess what? Unity, the game uh, Unity 3D, that would be at Unity 3D if you want to find them on Twitter. But Unity Game Engine has a store that you can access if you're a game developer. Actually, anybody can access it. Anybody can download the Unity Game Engine. If you're interested in how this shit works, dude, go over to Unity. Or just, you know, Unity Game Engine, just Google that. You will find a place to download the Unity Game Engine and you will get the non-pro version. All right. But you can still make you can make a lot of stuff with this thing. And that plus a whole bunch of YouTube videos and time. If and depending on how much you want to learn how to do, is going to dictate how much time you spend on this stuff. But if you want to be a game developer, every, you don't need to go to school. You don't need to go get a college degree for this shit, guys. If you if you really want in, if you really want to do this, all the tools are at your computer. And if you don't have a computer, go to a library. They have computers. Some of them will make you have a time limit, sadly, but some don't. And if you're lucky enough to have a public library that doesn't, uh, have at it, bro. Uh, in, anyway, the Unity game store that you can access through the through Unity, uh. They, somebody, I can't remember the name, but somebody has developed 
uh, lightning, essentially a lightning wallet that you can just drop into whatever game that you're building. It's not as easy as it sounds because you need to actually have a functional game kind of thing, but this is all coming and there's no reason not to use lightning. It's pretty, it's pretty simple and it's being built out a hell of a lot better than a lot of these other things are. So anyway, when the shit coinery comes, just, you know, close your eyes and I don't know, picture people in their underwear, whatever. Reddit co-founders firm leads 5 million funding round for a blockchain game. Samuel Haig writing for Cointelegraph sometime this morning. On March the 7th, Horizon Blockchain Games announced it has raised $5 million in a fundraising round led by Initialized Capital, the investment firm co-founded by Reddit co-founder Alexis Ohanian. The raise comes ahead of the release for Horizon's blockchain-based card game Skyweaver. In the blog post, Horizon Blockchain Games co-founder Peter Katelka, and I'm butchering that, sorry dude, stated that the funds will be used to deliver Skyweaver, the company's first game to market. The raise included contributions from new investors, Consensus, of course, Rach Ventures, and CMT Digital, in addition to existing partners, Polychain Digital Currency Group, and Polychain. Okay, that's twice, whatever. Katelka added that Horizon currently has a team of 24 full-time developers, I guess, or wait a minute, uh, okay, members. They say members. I, I'm always thinking developers. Katelka, st- I'm sorry I'm butchering your name, man, but I got time, states that the private beta launch of Skyweaver currently has 12,000 test players with over 90,000 more players waiting for access to the game. He states that Horizon has been focused on balancing the game. <laughs> it's always a balancing act, isn't it? and improving the user interface and testing their marketplace for card trading on the, oh God, here it is guys, the Ethereum test net. The private beta is currently hosting the Skyweaver preseason in which players will compete to earn rewards that can be used in game traded or sold. The post adds that members of the project's Discord will be able to receive early beta access when launched. The free-to-play game will be supported by PC, Mac, iOS, and Android. Skywalker or yeah, Skywalker tokenizes cards. I think it's Skyweaver. Yeah, I think that was a mistake. It's not Skywalker, Skyweaver tokenizes the cards as ERC 1155 tokens, a standard for non-fungible tokens issued on the Ethereum blockchain. On March the 1st, the most valuable ERC 1155 currently in existence was minted, comprising a homage to the long-running Doge meme titled It's Good to Be the King. The NFT is backed by 1,155,777.1 engine or the ENG token and is valued at roughly $101,000 US at press time. There's no reason to use anything other than what we already have with Bitcoin. I'm, I'm a broken record, but so is this guy. Strap in. Craig Wright forced to produce Tulip Trust documents by March the 12th. That's in two days, by the way. Uh, Let's see here. Emilio Janis writing sometime today for Bitcoinist.com. The United States judge presiding over the Craig S. Wright versus Kleeman cases ordered Wright to produce a list of requested documents by March the 12th. The latest filing on March the 9th relates to Wright's refusal to give details on how he obtained 
the list of Bitcoin addresses purportedly holding Satoshi's estimated 1.1 million BTC, claiming both attorney-client privilege and spousal privilege. Jesus. The heading of this paragraph is, in quotes, I am a lawyer. I am the law. Fucking drudge right, man. Since that refusal back in uh, February, claimant and rights lawyers have been arguing back and forth over whether the privileged claims are invalid or not. So it's nice to finally have the judge step in and put an end to this nonsense. Bizarrely, to back up his claims in a, on a, of attorney-client privilege, Wright has produced an unnotarized but sworn declaration from Denis, Dennis Bosire Mayaka, a lawyer in Kenya, which reads... Quote, I am a lawyer and obtained my Bachelor of Law degree in 2007 from Moy University in Kenya. I have represented doc- Dr. Craig Stephen Wright since 2012 on, among other things, investment matters. Specifically, I represent Dr. Wright and Wright International Investments Limited in connection with the Tulip Trust documents, including the Tulip Trust dated July the 7th, 2017. End quote. He also produced a printed out LinkedIn profile to confirm Mayaka's qualification. Ah! <laughs> Jesus, this should have been the train wreck. Unsurprisingly to everyone, and this must surely also include Wright, Judge Bruce Reinhardt gave short shrift to Mayaka's statement. Quote, first, as finder of fact, I disregard the Mayaka declaration because it has not been adequately authenticated, particularly given my prior finding that Dr. Wright has produced forged documents in this litigation. I decline to rely on this kind of document, which could easily have been generated by anyone with word processing software and a pen, end quote. Perhaps Craig Wright had been hoping the judge had forgotten that he had produced forged documents previously. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Not bloody likely, bro. Even if Miyaka did have an attorney-client relationship with Wright's wife, Ramona Watts, which the judge did not establish, the information was intended to be provided to Kleeman. There was no intention for the information to remain confidential, and hence, attorney-client privilege does not apply for the same reason the judge threw out Wright's claim that spousal privilege applied when Miss Watts gave the information to him. Right now has until March the 12th to provide the information about how he obtained the list of Bitcoin addresses. So, uh, this is just mind-boggling that he's not in jail. You just, I mean, going around playing with federal judges like this is seems to me to be very dangerous. <laughs> very dangerous. But be that as it may, um, what I find most astounding about this, actually, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be surprised, but I can't help it. I find it astounding that now there, he throws in a lawyer from Kenya in the mix. So all of a sudden now it's this dude in Kenya. Yeah, buddy. Uh, so there's the latest clown show news right there. Crypto lending firm BlockFi adds support for wire transfers to buy crypto. Cointelegraph's Anna Alexandri is writing sometime this morning. Lending platform BlockFi has added support for cash on its platform, which enables customers to purchase crypto through wire transfers. 
The company revealed the new option in a press release on March the 10th, detailing that its users can now send wire transfers to BlockFi to buy digital currencies and earn up to 8.6% annually. Oh, God. The wire transfer service is backed by financial services firm Silvergate and is available both domestically and internationally. BlockFi founder and CEO Zach Prince told Cointelegraph that at the moment, BTC remains the most popular cryptocurrency on the platform and is followed by Ether and then stablecoins like the USD coin. Quote, we found that older generations are more likely to invest in stablecoins as they're more risk averse, while our Gen Z, Millennial, and Gen X clients are more likely to own Bitcoin and Ethereum, Prince further said. Soon, BlockFi will be adding support for additional shitcoins on the platform, including more shitcoins, uh, I mean stablecoins, asset-backed coins, and other shitcoins. Just, it's just a shitcoin circus, people. BlockFi's funding round in late February saw the company secure $30 million. The round was led by United States-based capital fund Valar Ventures, with participation from Acuna Capital, CMT Digital, Avon Ventures, Castle Island Ventures, Purple Arch Ventures, Kinetic Capital, and Hong Kong-based Hashkey Capital, among others. At the time, BlockFi planned to allocate the raised money for expanding its offerings and hinted that it will roll out products accessible to a mainstream audience, starting with a mobile app in the coming months. Hopefully, it will actually not go down when times call for it. Recent months have been marked with a number of developments in the crypto loans industry, BitGo, a crypto firm, I hate that term, that claims to handle over 20% of all Bitcoin transactions, announced plans to launch an institutional-level crypto lending service. The uh, The Celsius network was reported to have more than doubled its interest payments in the three months since its last disclosure. In the meantime, over-the-counter digital currency trading and lending firm Genesis closed the fourth quarter of 2019 with record high results in loan origination since its inception. Genesis facilitated over four and a quarter billion dollars in loans since its incorporation in March of 2018. It originated more than 1.1 billion in loans and borrows for its institutional customers with total active loans of $545 million, showing a 23% increase compared to $450 million in the third quarter. I can't really be that much of a fan of BlockFi, and it's really a combination of the fact that I, I, I don't know, man, I'm really skeptical about DeFi. I really am. I, I don't know, man, just the handing over your Bitcoin so that somebody else can take a loan. I, that and the fact that clearly, clearly this company uh, is just going to wade, you know, neck deep into the shitcoin circus. Eh, what could possibly go wrong, right? So eh, there's that. And to end the snooze you can use, Binance publishes an apology letter to steam it community and says it has quote unvoted <laughs> the unvoted Marie Juliet writing for coin telegraph sometime. I don't know sometime today. Cryptocurrency exchange Binance has officially apologized to the steam it community following its involvement in a major centralization scandal involving Tron founder, Justin Sun. 
In its letter posted on March the 10th, Binance affirmed that it stays neutral and has no interest in on-chain governance beyond the Binance ecosystem, end quote. Binance also provided records of its powering down all of the 31,730,000 Steam tokens it had staked in support of Justin Trun's allegedly hostile takeover of the blockchain. Binance's letter comes following a standoff earlier this month between members of the Steemit community and Tron CEO Justin Sun, who acquired, or, quote, strategically partnered with, end quote, as it was later presented, Steemit in February of this year. Steemit is a blockchain-powered version of a Reddit-like social media platform which uses a consensus mechanism called Delegated Proof of Stake. This protocol means that the blockchain is governed by a set number of witnesses elected by Steam holders whose voting influence is proportional to the number of tokens they hold. Following news of Sun's apparent acquisition, the Steemit community orchestrated what it called coordinated and preemptive due diligence to soft fork the blockchain in order to deactivate a major stake known as the Ninja Mind stake, which had hitherto been owned by Steemit. <clears throat> the Ninja Mind stake comprised roughly 74 million tokens, and the community feared that Sun would be in a position to wield excessive control over the platform if he were able to dispense of the voting rights attached to a stake of this size. Sun responded to the soft fork by controversially declaring it to be a criminal action by malicious hackers and enlisted three exchanges, Binance, Huobi, and Tron-owned Poloniex, to vote the Steam tokens deposited by their own users to vote for a hard fork that would reverse the community's action. In the furor that followed, Binance CEO's Shengpeng Zhao has since claimed that Binance believed it was staking the tokens in favor of a regular upgrade hard fork. In today's letter, the exchange upholds this line, quote, We hold a supportive position of normal upgrade hard fork and will continue to do so in the future, end quote. In addition to providing evidence that it has now powered down all of the voted tokens on March the 8th and 9th, respectively, Binance wrote, quote, Hopefully, the Steemit community and Tron will reach a consensus in an efficient manner. If they fail to reach an agreement and it poses a potential risks and damages to Steam uh, users on Binance, we reserve the right to take corresponding actions at the consent of our other users. I would like to direct this to the distinguished members of the panel. You lousy cork suckers. No shit, Roman. <clears throat> That's right. These guys all suck. Anyway, Binance did not immediately respond to Cointelegraph's re request for comment. Article will be updated later if they should respond. Huobi has also announced that it has removed its vote, whereas, well, Tron-affiliated Poloniex is yet to comment on the incident. Oh, it's a dumpster fire, but, you know, it's, it's hopefully the whole thing will die. Uh, this kind of thing is really... It's, it's really a good warning flag. Everything outside of Bitcoin is going to be riddled with this kind of BS. And I am going to go ahead and say this. As, as new, oh, let's see, as new layers get attached to Bitcoin, you're going to be able to have this kind of circus if, if you so choose. It's what I like about Bitcoin. At the, on the base chain, it's the most secure thing on the history, in the history of histories and on the face of the planet right now and on into the future. It's the stuff that you can build on top of it that, I mean, 
if you build something on top of it that's going to scam the shit out of people, that is up to you. Because when you, like in lightning parlance, if you open a channel on Bitcoin blockchain on the or on the uh, Bitcoin blockchain and then close a channel on Bitcoin blockchain, Bitcoin does not care what the hell happened between that opening and the closing. If you moved, if you moved a Bitcoin, that's all the chain cares about. What happened on top of that is is in the purview of the people that were affected by it, the people that built that layer, what it was built for, and all that, all that shit. And I expect this to happen as more and more of these altcoins finally lose their, you know, hopefully die or at least be put into a coma. These people are going to go, well, shit, we can't do this anymore here. We'll just go over to Bitcoin and do it there. So be aware what's coming in the future to Bitcoin is going to be shit like this. And people will develop some layer two where there will be some sort of analog of delegated proof of stake as long as the layer that's functioning on top of Bitcoin has something in it. But the opening of that and the closing of that, since they're on the Bitcoin blockchain and since Bitcoin doesn't care, it's going to exist. So I expect this shit to happen. So just again, be aware. Anyway, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Daily Trainwrecked is brought to you by someone I haven't heard from in a long time because she blocked me a long time ago. This is from Tiffany Hayden. At Hayden Tiff says, I'm not holding XRP anymore. XRP supporters, so find something else to talk about. From my mom just now, so fucking pathetic. And she gives a screenshot, apparently, of a chat she's having with her mom on her phone. Says, LOL, reading the message boards on XRP to try to find out why it's dropping in value. And I see you're the topic of conversation there. Time for that. Apparently, Tiffany Hayden did not have time for that shit. That's not surprising uh, because we've, you know, anybody who's been in the space long enough sees these people, they come in and they are hardcore and they are, they become even more hardcore and then they burn out. Uh, Tiffany Hayden just burned out. So, what is all this about? Well, there's actually a, a God forbid, there's a, a news story about this in Crypto Slate by Priyeshu Garg. He's writing sometime today. I can No, this was actually yesterday. Major Ripple supporter sells all of her hobo wine holdings due to toxic community. Tiffany Hayden, once one of Ripple's biggest supporters and self-proclaimed CEO of XRP, has sold off her XRP holdings due to constant attacks from the XRP community. This is what's called an autoimmune disease, people. It's like like arthritis. It's an autoimmune disease. It it attacks the body. Whatever. The blockchain advisor. <laughs> She's a blockchain advisor now, is she? Said that the constant attack she suffered from Ripple supporters caused her to sever ties with the project. 
While the crypto industry has been known for bringing forth very passionate clicks, very few communities have been as hostile as the ones surrounding Ripple. The hot-blooded group supporting the company's promising cryptocurrency hobo wine seems to have become unbearable for Tiffany Hayden, one of its earliest and most vocal supporters. The independent blockchain advisor decided to sell off her XRP holdings and disassociate herself from the community. She tweeted on March the 9th, I'm not holding XRP anymore, XRP supporters, so find something else to talk about. She explained that the XRP community has been attacking her character ever since she revealed that the network was suffering from vulnerabilities that could halt its operations. Uh, really? Really? <laughs> Jeez, my God almighty. Hayden further elaborated to a follower that XRP supporters are disparaging her constantly, quote, wherever XRP supporters congregate, they have nothing better to do than to talk shit about me, which my parents and children have the pleasure of reading. I'm done. Find somebody else to demonize and spend your life bitching about sell 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 yeah that's exactly what she did she also claims to have been excluded from the network by its gatekeepers after spinning up an expensive validator to help with the vulnerabilities and there's a little screenshot there but it's not important this isn't the first time that the hostility from the xrp community caused problems back in 2018 hive.1 formerly known as crypto influencers a platform that lists influential figures in major cryptocurrency communities was forced to eliminate its section on Ripple. He, the Hive team, said that the platform came under heavy scrutiny after highlighting David Schwartz, a.k.a. Joel Katz, Ripple's CTO, as the influential person in Ripple. While Hive 1 noted that the data it aggregates is merely informational, the Ripple community has shown such a high level of hostility towards the platform that it was forced to eliminate the entire section. Sell, sell, sell! Back then, it was believed that the outage or outrage originated from the listing of Stefan Thomas, the former CTO of Ripple, as the second most influential account in the community, despite the fact that he hasn't been involved with Ripple for months. Ripple itself hasn't been a stranger to the drama as it has been facing a class action lawsuit while trying to prepare for it. An, I, an IPO. Sell, sell, sell. The company has been accused of and leveraging questionable advertising while distributing XRP as an unregistered security. It's hard to say whether any of these events in itself had an effect on Hobo Wine's price, as the entire crypto market has been experiencing a significant consolidation in the past two days. So, poor Tiff. Poor, poor, poor little Tiffany. Uh, as somebody who came under her sights, uh, uh, she was plugging me at long distance a few times because I told her that Ripple was a scam. But um, so <clears throat> as somebody who's been there, I can tell you that this isn't going to be the last person to drop out of shit coinery. You just you're going to get your fill. And thankfully, I never really had to get my fill. My fill came one night. I was sitting drinking a glass of wine outside. It was like early summer. It was real nice at night. I had some lights going. Me and my wife were just chilling out. I can't remember what it was that I read about Ethereum, but it just made me open. It immediately made me go to my computer the very next day, and I just market sold every Ethereum that I had. I mean, and it was uh, it was after the Dow, so 
Sadly, I'm still saddled with some Ethereum Classic tokens, but whatever. I just, I don't have the energy to get up and go sell them. Um, <clears throat> this is what you're going to get. I mean, I wasn't even part of the Ethereum community in so far that, I mean, I mean, outside of the fact that I held Ethereum, I was never part of the community. I didn't shill for it. I didn't care. It was, it was, I was still trying to figure out what the hell all this stuff was. And finally I figured out, you know, there's, None of this crap is necessary. The only thing that's necessary is Bitcoin. These people are going to start, here's the sad part. These people are going to start coming back to Bitcoin and they're going to have been the worst people in the most, you think maximalism is toxic. Oh my God. When they're talking about toxicity and XRP, I can't remember his name. He did a lot of research on the XRP community, especially in Twitter. Uh, using some pretty good, uh, pretty good techniques to figure out what was going on, and they got his Twitter account shut the fuck down. I mean, he hasn't. He has tried on several occasions to come back from the dead, and at this point, it's failed so miserably that I can't even remember his name. And I was one of the guy's followers. It's it's like that. So be careful out there, folks. But in either event. There's your smoldering pile right there. Let's get on into um, the terrible joke corner, as if as if we didn't just read a terrible joke. But this one is from Dad Says Jokes. At a job interview, I filled my glass of water until it overflowed a little. Um, nervous? Asked the interviewer. No, I I I always give a hundred and ten percent. That's what I'm going to do. If I ever get interviewed by a Bitcoin company and I will only be interviewed by Bitcoin only companies, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to fill my water glass to 110% because that's what I give to this community. Anyway, chicken report, not a whole lot to report except for this. Remember how I was saying that when you got these little chickies, they've got to be kept warm and that the first week they got to be at 95 degrees. Yeah, good luck with that especially if you're in a cold basement. Uh, Cause I got, you know, I got a heat lamp and it took forever to string that thing into a situation where um, I felt good about the heat and the temperature fluctuates. It just does. Sometimes my thermometer reads 86. Sometimes it reads 110 and it's a alcohol filled glass thermometer. So in case you're wondering what thermometer I'm using, it's just your, basic run in the mill everyday kind of thing um, that uh, everybody uses. Sorry, my phone was distracting me for a second. Um, so being able to keep these things at a constant temperature is, unless you're planning on spending a lot more money, uh, it's impossible. Now, if you're going to like, if you're going to be like breeding or not breeding, but if you're going to be brooding like hundreds of chicks or like, like maybe 50, that's a substantial investment. And sort of like Bitcoin, if you're going to have a substantial investment, you should probably spend, you know, 1% of what you owe or what you own on a hardware wallet or the, you know, like what, what the, I used to be Trace Mayer when he was in the good graces of the uh, community before he shilled shit coins. Um, 
used to say something like, if you have a hundred dollars in cryptocurrency, you should, you know, spend a dollar on security. If you've got $10,000 in cryptocurrency, you should probably think of spending a hundred dollars on security. That, that, that sort of that kind of thing. So the more of these that you get, you know, the more substantial investment that you have in it, you should probably think about spending more money on, on heat. Now, the flip side of that, there don't, these little guys don't seem to be all that adversely affected. I can't see any problems with their growth. I don't see any problems in their liquid uptake. I don't see any problems in their feed uptake. I don't see them, you know, floundering around. I don't see them sleeping a lot. Uh, they do kind of cozy up to each other quite a bit, but I don't see any negative effects. So that whole thing with 95 the first week, 90 the second week, keep that in your back pocket, but don't let it stop you from going ahead and, and you know, raising some chickens if you can so that you can have them in your backyard so that you'll at least have some eggs the next time Robinhood app dies and you can't sell all of your shit during a multinational pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're long. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.